reading my brand new book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. The book, me and my co-host Ben Durant wrote this last year and it is now finally out at bluerosebag.com. This book contains over 100 interviews with cast and crew, community commentary, and of course, us. For example, here are some of the fine folks you'll find in this wonderful book. Krista Bell, Charlotte Stewart, David Patrick Kelly, Jim Belushi, John Neff, Scott Frost, Cheryl Lee, Matthew Lillard, and the one, the only, Kyle McLaughlin. So get your copy today at bluerosemag.com. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. And we have David Bushman, who's got his new book, Conversations with Mark Frost. Hi, David. How you guys doing? Great. I'm so excited to get to talk to you about this book. I, you know, this to me is the, uh, uh, there was the, day, day, you know, there's the Lynch on Lynch book, and this is to me is the Frost on Frost book. Like, this is the uh, definitive Mark Frost book, a must read. Missed opportunity, uh, Frost David. on Frost. I know. <laughs> well, no, I mean, first of all, that's very complimentary of you to say thank you. Secondly, we did go back and forth. Yeah, the title, and I, at one point I jokingly suggested Frost on Frost, and um, he actually liked it. But then I sort of had to say, well, you know, probably not a good idea. So, well, is it, what, yeah. but that's high praise because that's a great book. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And yeah. This is a great book. This no, is really yes. something. And like, and I think I've said this on social media. It's like, it's like this is a. I've been waiting thirty years for a book like this. Like I can't, I can't believe. Nobody has hasn't done this already. That that we haven't gotten a Mark Frost book before. So this, I'm so glad that you've done this, David. Well, thanks. That was my pitch. You know, <laughs> so that was my to Mark. It's interesting because the mythology, you know, for doing this podcast for as long as we have, learning that Mark Frost was really the person who put the mythology together for Twin Peaks. It was just like boggles my mind that we didn't know more about that. We would hear it from other sources. But it's just so nice. Now we have this physical thing coming from his see mouth. Much, see how much he was involved. Yeah, with it. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's it's a great thing to have. So so before we get into the book, though, before this whole idea, had you ever had a conversation with Mark Frost? 
I think just once when, um, you know, Mark Givens from Deer Meadow Radio and I have been working on the Hazel Drew book forever. And, and at one point we reached out to Flatiron, his publisher, and asked if he would be willing to talk to us about that. And he was. Hmm. And we talked and he was very um, talkative and very helpful and, and really interested in the case. I mean, Mark and I have found out Mark Givens and I have found out so much more about this case and and I periodically update him and he's really into it so which is great and and, and you know he's going to write the forward to the oh, book too which, that's great. which is awesome but um And can I which, say the name of the book? I mean I don't know if it's going to change but it's Blonde, Beautiful and Dead. Yeah, you know that's not my title but that's the title <laughs> of the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a feeling that you had talked to him at least once for that book. So that, so you had some conversation how did you come up with the idea for the book and then actually reach out to Mark? You know, I can't remember exactly how I came up with the idea of the book, but I can't, I think I was discussing it with Peter Dom of Welcome to Twin Peaks at one point, and, and I just thought, you know, that I was looking for book, book ideas. And, I, you know, I've, a lot of my professional life has been about studying television history, and obviously I know about the universal factory system that he came out of in the 70s with, mm. with like Colombo and Macmillan and wife and all that stuff. And then I knew a lot about Hill Street Blues. So his name was not something that I just associated with Twin Peaks. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think, you know, the big thing is basically the premise of the book or the thesis of the book is just basically that his contribution, not just to Twin Peaks, but to everything he did with David Lynch was seriously under uh represented by the press and i think misunderstood by the press and you know and it wasn't mark saying that it was me you know mm. like mark complaining about that at all it's just that i felt like again if you want if you're gonna be a historian and you want to get history right it's important to sort of get get at what the truth is and that was an important motivation for me. yeah you speak of the uh the relationship of uh mark frost and lynch and how he would lynch would always get the press like uh, on page, uh, I think it was 270 or 280, the passion, what was the article? The passion of David Lynch and um, how I, it was great that you brought that up to Mark saying, do you mind? You know, he's your partner, but he gets all the press and people are, they are more interested in about him than what you put in to Twin Peaks. And I thought his answer was really good. I obviously don't want to give it away, but I was like amazed you went there because a lot of people think about, I think about that all the time. I know we all do. Well, I just want to say that that's a really great catch on your board because by far the trickiest thing to know, I mean, Mark is loquacious and eloquent and talkative, but by far the most difficult thing to talk to him about is, Twin Peaks and especially season three. And I think that just because there's a lot, there's a great, great deal of sensitivity there. Um, not, and not, not necessarily on his part, but on, on just sort of in general. I mean, you take someone, you know, there are academics who I won't name who almost ignore that fact that he was even involved in it. I was going back and reading headlines from the 19, early 1990s talking about American Chronicles. I mean, Lynch like was oh, like yeah. had nothing to do with American Chronicles, but because the first, because it was such an odd thing, American Chronicles. I don't know if you guys remember it. So bizarre. I mean, they called it 
doc they all docu poetry they automatically mm. assume it's like you know to use a rather trite word lynchian but you know he wasn't involved in any way there were headlines that were calling it lynch's american chronicles and and also so there was that and also i did want to you know when i did twin peaks faq i wasn't really clear on where the lines of demarcation were and to an extent between lynch and frost and to an extent you can't you can't make them as exact as i guess i wanted to make them but in some cases they were severely they've been severely misrepresented by by history yeah and i I mean i was just so happy you went to that because my first inkling was hearing an interview with lynch and a a host and the host asked lynch about what are the owls i'm really interested about the owls and lynch was just like i don't know (laughs) that's not my thing and it really perked my ears and interest up and you know just going wow mark frost he really brought Twin Peaks to life in season one and two with the mythology. Time will always, will will put one person above the other, not intentionally. It's not like Lynch wants the attention, mm. but it's just maybe the way, maybe, <laughs> but it's just the way the media wants to distort the yeah. truth, I guess. And you mentioned American Chronicles. I mean, uh, it's you know I always look at that as as like it's almost ahead of its time for like reality TV. I mean it was a documentary where I mean like I think Monte Grotto was the first uh, first episode, but it's I thought it was ahead of time. Like oh we have this documentary style uh, you know yeah. show, but I think you know Fox I think was a little pissed off that David Lynch didn't direct any of them. Like I think he just wasn't interested in it, and like I don't know what Lynch is doing, but he just didn't seem like he he wanted to be involved. He, he wasn't involved at all. I mean, yeah. he wasn't involved much in Twin Peaks either. Right, I think right. He was just with the movies, which is what he he wanted to do. So, you know, I, I think Fro- um, Fox's problem with um, American Chronicles was almost that maybe they didn't like the idea that Lynch didn't direct it, but they, it was probably too Lynchian for them in that it was <laughs> just so weird. I mean, yeah. they came up with all these dictums like you can't use opera music or something or you can't. Huh. have more celebrities in there and so it was too weird for them and, and which is i guess another way of saying it was too much like lynch for them but yeah but anyway, i mean that's one of the really cool things about mark frost is that he has never even with season three love it or hate it uh he has never repeated himself i mean he's always i mean he, you know amazing guy walked away from hollywood you know to go back to minnesota and he would tell yeah. stories about how cold it was there and, and how difficult it was to start your car the next morning. I mean, he left Hollywood for that. And, and I think that was just a pattern that he set where he, um, he always made, um, not just interesting choices, but, um, ambitious choices and I think unsafe choices. So I, that's one thing that I really, really admire about him. You know, what I got from this book, which which is I think some of us always thought, was that Mark Frost kind of took Lynch's abstract ideas and kind of made them into understandable narrative. Right. Would you agree with that, David? I think that's true. And I think what's kind of interesting about that is it was symbiotic in the sense that Lynch took Frost's kind of crazy out there ideas and had to make them had to make them work within the context of whatever narrative structure he was try he and Harley Payton and, and Bob Engels were trying to create. And then I think conversely that uh, Lynch took 
things that Frost did and converted them into more visceral, less narratively logical hmm. um, um, images. I yeah. guess. So I think, you know, they worked to the extent that Lynch was there in the first two seasons, which again, we're all agreeing was not that much. Yeah. I think they sort of worked off each other and I, I'm not the first person to use this word, but together they created a sort of magic that, that they really haven't necessarily created on their own. That's true. And to, to go off of what Ben was saying in in the context of this conversation right here, it was also very interesting about how we got to hear a little bit more of the Judy Jaude backstory. Don't ruin anything though. I'm not. You gotta get you gotta get the book to hear about this. No, I know, but I'm just saying it's interesting because that's something that's constantly debated in the community, the Judy Jaude. And then we actually get to hear from Mark Frost himself about how that all went about. Was that something, were you as surprised to hear what he had to say about that? Because I was like, wow, this kind of goes in line with what we're, we know and now what we've learned. How'd you take it? You know, there was a lot that was said that is not in the book because I couldn't use it. Mm. And, and so I did try to get an, there's a lot, there, there's a lot that surprised me about about what came from where, and um, that would certainly fall into that category, yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I think that, you know, an example of where they worked really great together was, think about this, the the Owl Cave, you know, Ben, you mentioned the Owl. Yeah. Uh, the Owl Cave was Mark Frost and and, and Harley and, and, and those guys. And then the ring, which was the Owl Cave ring, hmm. was Lynch. And, you know, then they both took it on in the return and made it this huge thing. I mean, the ring first shows up, I think, in Fire Walk With Me. Yes, right. So right. It start, starts as the cave, and that's that sort of symbol or icon with which Link had nothing to do with. He took it and went with it and, and made it a big deal in the movie, and then it was a huge deal in the return. So that was a good way that they... If they work together and um and i would just say too of course the secret history of Tw twin peaks the book i mean you have mark frost taking that ring now and including it in his novel yeah it was a huge it was a huge deal i think he knew at that point that it was going to figure prominently in the in the in the return i, I think one of the things i mean one of the real interesting answers that he, he gave me along these lines that um Again, I don't want to say exactly what it was, but I, I asked him why, for example, Chet Desmond isn't in the um, return, you know, because theoretically he disappeared to the same place that, that Philip Jeffries did. So why why aren't we seeing him? And um, I thought that was kind of an interesting answer. There. And he said John Thorne, that John Thorne is right that he's not a real person. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right. I'm going to make John unhappy and say he definitely did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Tell us, like, how much research did you do to prepare for these 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 uh, twenty two phone call interviews wow. that you did with him? Yeah, that was like pretty wicked. I I mean because he's like read like everything, you know. I mean, yeah. I'm out there reading like I'm like taking the subway reading Carl Jung and um, uh, Joseph Campbell oh and the book about um, yeah. I read Stephen Botchko's biography. I read I read so much that 
you know, not about Twin Peaks per se. Like I read, I had already read like the list of seven and the six messiahs, but I read his other books is like before I, before I wake and, and the, hmm. the other books, I read everything that he wrote and I hadn't, you know, a lot of that stuff I hadn't read. So there was so much research, not just stuff that Frost did, but stuff that he wanted to talk about. And I, I didn't want to feel like a complete total idiot. Like, I do feel like an idiot compared to Mark Frost, but oh, I no. feel a little less like an idiot than, I, than, than that because he's just so well-versed in so many things. You mentioned reality programming. I also love what he had to say about, this, about Survivor. Um, yeah. Which, you know, which is like probably one of his least favorite things in the world. And <laughs> heard about The Apprentice, and you know how guys how he feels about about that. And, yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, he he just is so well read that that it was really. That's why sometimes there were long periods in between our our interviews because I had a lot of reading to do. Wow, yeah. Well, I feel like we we got the right person to write this book, David. It's yeah. you because yeah, you you first of all you have the, the 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 television history that you already had that knowledge and then to be able to do all this research. But then you know, going through this book, you ask the right questions. Like you, these are questions I think the fans have always wanted to know. I mean, whether they be season 1, 2, 3, Firewalk with me on the air, these are all things that kind of like, "Oh, how much is how much is Mark Frost involved? And these, yeah. so I was I was excited every time you asked a question. Like, yes, David asked the right question. And we get some good answers. We do, and sometimes we don't get good answers. And actually, I enjoy that as well. That sometimes Mark Frost doesn't want to give us the answer. Keeps but, the mystery alive. Yeah, a lot of the questions were inspired by stuff that I that you know I've heard from fans over the years. Whether it was at that one festival that I went to, which mm. I'll never do again. But, um, <laughs> But, you know, also from you guys, like, you know, we we had I don't know if we were texting or what, but we had kind of a nice little chat about um, Moonchild. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I sort of went there with him. And that was stuff that you guys you guys put in my head to begin with. So there's a lot of stuff that came from from fans who I've just encountered along the way. And I think one thing that I would also like to say is that I I think that, um, you know, there's a fair degree of infighting I think in any fan group that's been my experience I mean I've been to WhedonCon and obviously I worked at the Paley Center and, and all that but I really think that um, the Twin Peaks fan community is 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 awesome and mm-hmm. so has been so supportive of this project and, and I relied a lot on them for in terms of research and deciding what questions to ask that's great it shows it really yeah. does show uh, yeah I, and like 22 phone calls. Now, how did your relationship with him grow over time? I mean, did you think he was, by the end, was he more willing to open up with you? Did he trust you? I mean, you guys, are you guys best friends now? He's going to be the best man at my wedding. Yes. Ah, yes. yes. No, you know, um, I think we struck a pretty good, I, I think we hit it off pretty well. You know, I mean, you know, we had uh, certain things in common, too. I mean, I think he respected my sense of television history, like you said. And, and, mm. and obviously, I have tremendous respect for him. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about Hazel, for example. We talked a lot about politics. You know, there was one time where I had dinner with him when he came into New York, and that was really 
something fantastic. It was an off the record conversation, but it was really kind of like a privilege, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I feel like, um, you know, we're not obviously best friends and, and, or anything like that, but I, 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 I certainly have tremendous respect for him and, and I hope that there's mutual respect and, and, you know, I, I um, I feel like the relationship's pretty good. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I guess I want to talk about the cover, uh, David. Uh, you got Blake uh, Morrow to do the cover, and what a fantastic job he did. How did you reel him in? <laughs> or even come up with an idea for the cover. Yeah. This is great that you bring this up because Blake is amazing. Yeah. Mm. An amazing photographer, but he um, is an amazing that what he did for this book. He, we had a temporary cover that hmm. a certain person put on the book that I'm not going to make. <laughs> so Blake reached out to me and said, you know, <laughs> this is a book about Mark Frost. This deserves a better cover than that. Uh... And so he said, I will do this cover. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell this so because he probably could make a lot of money doing covers, but he actually said to me, I will do this cover for nothing because uh, just for the opportunity to meet Mark Frost oh. and, and have this as part of my portfolio. So he flew out to California on his own dime. He set up the photo. He gave us a bunch of options to choose from. They were all awesome. And it's, I think, I agree with you guys. It's a beautiful, I can't it say it's had nothing to do with it. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cover. And Blake yeah, he'd yeah. Else. so on social media, he posted these photos, and people were like, what are you doing with uh, Mark right. Frost? Right, there's no context of the book. It was book. great, it's though. Just, I love the it. photos. And it's yeah, like... He, yeah. he did ask me before he did that whether I was cool with that, and, and he thought it would create some suspense, and I think, yeah. I think it did. I think yes, it was I agree. It was really cool. He said, oh, I'm working on a project, but it was like, yeah, I think it, at least some of us, we were like, ooh, what's, the, what's the, all this about? Yeah, uh, that was cool. It was a great marketing... <laughs> You know, for the book, because all of a sudden yeah. you, you saw those. You at that point that what it was about, though, didn't you? Yeah, I was yeah. like, what's Mark Frost doing with yes. Blake? Why is he on the beach? Oh, but you knew I was writing a book. Right? Yes. Yeah, I we knew did. We knew you were writing a book, but I honestly didn't put it together. Okay. I didn't I didn't say Mark Frost on the beach is David Bushman's David book. book. Right. Like, I didn't put right. it together at all. Yeah, yeah. I was like, right. this is odd. Like, this is a swimsuit. Plus, we already <laughs> thought you had a cover made yeah. by that mystery person. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm on my best behavior here, guys. Yeah, like, so are we. No. He is. I want to say in his defense that Scott is an awesome. <laughs> you don't edit this out. All right, All right. awesome business partner and friend. He he is. He may not have the best taste in covers, but uh, oh. but he is that, and he really knows what he's doing. And our publishing company, which I should mention, which publishes this book, Fit the Mafia Press would not be uh, anything uh, like it is without without him. Oh. Yeah. You guys, I mean, he, great work, great books coming yeah. out, great books that, that have come out. I think Scott's going to edit this show and just have that one sound bite of David <laughs> saying something I, good about him. <laughs> well, if you if you say his name two more times, he just appears. <laughs> so we, we, we cut it off. You said his name once. Now we have to make sure... Because he could just show up at any... It's like the candy man. You just got to... <laughs> or the Slender Man. How about that? Oh, God. The Slender Man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does look like the Slender You cannot cut this next part out. But, I, I mean, the elephant in the room here, guys, is that I cannot believe you are um, ending your podcast. You cannot do that, like I told Ben. Oh. I mean, that's that's 
first of all, we may not get any more Twin Peaks, and now we may not get any more Twin Peaks unwrapped. I think that's that deserves some reconsideration on your part. I know we uh, we we've 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 done a lot, and I think we've we squeezed the stone dry, <laughs> as they say. I remember I remember talking to John Thorne, and he kind of like with wrapped in plastic. He was like, "Okay, we've done all the content we really needed to, yeah. and we were ready to end it." I think for us, it was just, it's been five years. It's the thirtieth anniversary. It seems like a great time. Our to, book like, is out. I yeah, mean, it's just to finish up. But yeah. thank you, David. Thank, thank you for you. your support and yeah. stuff too. That I, I I we were texting. I don't even know if I've shared this with David and I talk and stuff, and I don't even share this. With you. No, you were uh, no, no David. No. We were in the group chat. Oh, that's right, in the group chat. But yeah. I was like, David, I thought you hated us. I yeah, no yeah, idea. I read all that. I was part of there. I know I'm I'm quiet, but I read. I see the, the, right. the messages. It's a joke, right? That you thought that I hated you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think it's just mild dislike. Uh, there you go. I see him and he's like, I'll say, oh, like we won't see each other for months. And then I see him and he's like, hi, David. And he's just like, hi. Hi. <laughs> I was like, all right, never mind. <laughs> you guys are going to Graceland. Is that right? Yes, that is right. Yes, I, that's yes. We're try. It hasn't. We haven't worked out everything with uh, Brian yet. But we gotta. Yeah, but you're going. I'm so. going. It's uh, it, it. We. It's already been announced on the webpage that we are special panelists. So I mean, there's... we didn't even know that uh, that was gonna that they're gonna you're post it on the website. Panel. You're doing a panel with Scott Ryan, right? <laughs> yes, Scott Ryan. We said it twice. <laughs> oh no. You know what it's about or theories or whatever. Um, what what is the work, panel about? We're working on it. I think we're still working on it. I think, actually, yeah. just today we were don't trying to... Him, do not let him talk about the what side Cooper's hair is. Ah! Actually, I think that was one of the ideas he no, said. No, he suggested the hair. Be. Hair in Twin Peaks. Right. I mean, I would like to do more something more about history, how fans. I would like to do... I don't think we... We always do theory, 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 but to me it's sometimes it's nice just to talk about why do we enjoy Twin Peaks and right. what are the fans... You know, what the fans have done and what the, well, the history. Keep it alive. Let's talk about that for a second, because I think that's another thesis of my book is that there are, you know, I'm sure you guys read, guys read and I don't want to hold, you know, Brad up as a, Brad Duke said up as a um, put all of this on him. But there, there are many people. You said, why do fans like it? Mm. I think there were a lot of diehard fans who weren't in love with season three. And mm-hmm. I kind of do put forward this theory that. You know, John Thorne said a long time ago that what people really want is for David Lynch to direct a Mark Frost yeah. uh, script, and I think they wanted more Mark Frost. And I that's agree. kind of—I uh, don't know. I mean, I know a lot of people did think it was like the greatest thing ever, and I loved it. But um, I think people felt that there a lot of that sort of fan connection that you're talking yeah. about was kind of maybe not there, and. And they they were and I my theory anyway is that you know that when Mark stepped away, I mean he still was on on set uh, every now and then, but when mm-hmm. he stepped away to write his books, that that a lot of that probably, you know, I, I mean I think he even doesn't necessarily rule out. I think he he's very uh, diplomatic about that when I put it when I put that theory to him. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up. It- I agree 100. percent I mean, I yeah. I enjoy season three, but it is missing, it's missing some of the elements of season one and two. And I actually mentioned this to Harley Payton, and I said, <laughs> I mean, people love to c- complain about Harley Payton messed up the second season or something, but he's the one that you know brings up things like you know give yourself a present every day, and that there's I think there's some of that heart the cherry stem cherry stem. So there's I think people like there's some of these writers that contribute for the original s- yeah. s- series. 
we're missing that in, in season three. Ben and myself were just talking about this before you we got on uh, the horn with you. Um, that I always feel season one and two. I use the term, it took a village to make a, a wonderful show. You have different writers, different directors, different ideas, and you have you have Harley Payton, and you have all these people taking taking responsibility and, uh, and, and doing wonderful work. And that's what people loved. They loved all that stuff. Um, and it's like comfort food now because you've seen it so many times and it makes you feel good. And then season three kind of ignores a lot of that because it's strictly Lynch and Frost uh, and more Lynch. But yeah, it's a good point. I, I almost felt like it would have been great if Lynch brought back some of those old directors or brought back Harley or brought back some of the other writers, not just Lynch and Frost, but Harley Payton maybe, you know. So that could have brought all that back even more. But, you know, I, I mean, it was great for what it was. But, but. I mean, I, I really, without really talking about it too much, but I liked uh, Mark Frost's response to the, your question about that. Like, I thought he did a great job and really, and it makes a lot of sense what he's saying, <laughs> how David Lynch works and how maybe Mark Frost works. Right. Yeah, this is a lot more like a Lynch, a Lynch film. Yeah. Yeah. Especially his later films. And, you know, um, I... Um, you know, I, I asked Mark if there was any concern on his part that I said, you know, fans were speculating. I'm sure you guys were, too. I know that there were events that I was at where we talked about this. I'm not sure mm. if you guys were at those those events or not. But I did talk about it with some some of you guys that there was a lot of speculation in view of like Inland Empire and yeah. whatever else um, that that it was going to go off in a very sort of um, obtuse direction or oblique direction. And, um, I asked him if that was, you know, something that, that he was concerned about because he is more first is he can be as weird. He can be as weird as anybody in, mm. in his work, but he is, I think a storyteller above everything else. And I think he's very, um, attached to narrative. Um, and, yeah. and so that was something that I do talk to him about. And I think we were all sort of wondering, where, and, and I think it did sort of, I mean, you know, I mean, there's some pretty weird stuff in, in season three. And, and um, you know, I mean, I liked it, but I guess, you know, there's so many things that, you, you know, I think uh, Harry, I mean, I, I obviously um, Robert Foster was great, but, you know, that relationship between Harry and Cooper, Cooper in general, mm. kind of just missing in action, you know? And, yes. Um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that just uh, felt missing to me. Right. The thing, that, the, thing that, um, the thing that I tried to press Mark on the most, I mean, he didn't want to talk much about, he didn't want to deconstruct season three much, and I think there were different reasons for that. Mm. But he... I tried to press him as hard as I could on the Sarah Palmer thing, and he just wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't give. You know? <laughs> the whole thing about when did she become this this person or this demon that she became, and and how that corresponded with what we had seen and thought in seasons one and two, and Fire Walk with Me, and he just wasn't going to go there. So, or he gives answers, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> enough of an answer that maybe fans would want that like he yeah yeah 
But I, I, I think I enjoy that too. Like, I'm so glad you didn't just like, oh, he didn't answer it the way I wanted to, so let's cut it from the book. I'm glad that you left it and like, we, we get a sense of where Mark is thinking and how he views it. And Yeah, I mean, I felt like putting in some kind of disclaimer that just because a question isn't – because I, I sort of had the idea this fear that people would pick up this book and say, why didn't he ask that? Or why didn't he ask this? And I thought about putting in some disclaimer saying something like, just because a question is in the book doesn't mean that I didn't, I didn't ask it. Yeah. Right. Right. I would have loved to have gotten a lot more answers about season three, but I totally understand where he was coming from. And first of all, it's not, it's not his work alone and, Mm. and that played into it. And there were other issues too. Sometimes he he seems cagey or he doesn't want to take credit for things. Is it just because he knows this is a collaborative work that he's doing something with David Lynch? Like I remember talking with him and sometimes he wouldn't want to say like we I think we know from Harley Payton that Wally Brando stuff is really Mark Frost. Like that was a lot of Mark Frost's work. But if I asked Mark Frost that he wouldn't say, "Oh, you know, that's yeah. that's me." Do you think he's just modest, or is he somebody that just feels like he's being respectful to the Frost-Lynch collaboration? I think both. I think he is modest, and I think that he, um, I mean, think about it. He probably was responsible for so much of seasons one and two because every script went through him, and Mm. I don't see him taking credit for that anywhere. Right. Um, But I think, you know, I think... You know, again, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but I think David Lynch is a little prickly, and I think that about about giving away answers to things. So I think that um, that 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 is a very fine line, and probably with any partnership. I mean, look at you guys. You know, two geniuses constantly having to uh, balance. I do all the work, actually. Yep. Brian does nothing. I do nothing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's I'm true. Kidding. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some of that, definitely. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. Thirty years ago, people across the country were glued to their televisions by this mysterious death of Laura Palmer. And this spring, April 3rd through 5th, Twin Peaks fans can travel to Elvis Presley's Graceland and Memphis, Tennessee, for a a once-in-a-lifetime fan celebration. David Lynch and Mark Frost created a mystery horror drama series that has continued to amass a cult following, even after its original series final in 1991. And its impact on pop culture is never-ending. The Twin Peaks 30th official fan celebration at Graceland, an unforgettable experience featuring Twin Peaks-themed parties, screenings of fan-favorite episodes, and the chance for fans to relive their favorite show moments with some of Twin Peaks' biggest stars. And of course, there will be tons of cherry pie and damn good coffee. Tickets for the 30th anniversary celebration are still on sale. And fans can visit www.graceland.com forward slash Twin Peaks for more information. What, I mean, so, I mean, we, we're a Twin Peaks uh, podcast, but for you personally, what did you most enjoy talking to Mark about? You know, Twin Peaks was, um, it's a big chunk, um, just volume wise of the book and um it was a lot of hard work because Mm. obviously i knew that that's where i i think there are people who are going to pick up this book and read nothing but those two chapters and 
I felt a lot of pressure to, um, again, to not let certain, to, to come up with all the question, all the right questions. So that was probably, I mean, I, you know, of all his work, there's no question that Twin Peaks is my, you know, my favorite. Mm. Of it. There was pressure attached to working on those two chapters. And also, like I said, those, those weren't the easiest chapters to uh, get answers to. So, so that kind of shaded a a lot of that. And and I think that, um, you know, I loved great stories about his father that I never knew about. I loved that stuff. I loved uh, hearing him talk about the writer's room at, at Hill street and sort of their, you know, being in a writer's room with Milch and, and, and all David Milch and also how Botchko ran his writer's room and about, you know, the sort of way that I think Mark pretty clearly feels and Botchko felt that he was somewhat um, betrayed by Lewis and Milch. All that stuff was really interesting. Their, their competition with Bruce Paltrow and the guys at St. Elsewhere, the whole MTM thing, I loved, I loved that stuff. I loved, you know hearing him talk about his theories about UFOs and how he had a long talk with Steven Spielberg about it and Mm. what they thought about. I loved hearing him talk. I mean, that story that he tells about at the swimming pool, that guy, Terrence Young, the James Bond director, that that is amazing to me. Um, And so there were things that, you know, there were so many things that I didn't even know that I would, that I would love talking to him about that I wound up, loving talking to him about it. And, and like I said, they were free of a lot of the pressure that that I felt with respect to the Twin Peaks stuff. Whereas there's no question that I would, you know, I would say Twin Peaks is by far my favorite Mark Frost work. There were just other factors at play. Yeah, I mean, it's a well-rounded book. I mean, you touch upon so many things. In our group text, I liked, uh, I, a long time ago, I think you said, there's going to be no photos in my book. And then I noticed there's photos in your book. Well, a couple pages have a couple photos. Was that pressure by your publisher to put photos in your book? <laughs> the one who will not be named. He's the publisher. Um, David is the publisher. publisher. For one thing. But, well, you know um, what I'm saying? I'm talking about I'm Scott. I'm going to Oh, singing in the bathtub. Everyone, what the? Wait a minute. What? what did, did you guys say my name three times? Oh, damn it. Ben, Brian, I've told you, when you say it two times, send me a text or something. I'm in the shower. Brian, are you looking at my rubber ducky? Eyes up front. Don't be looking at my... And are you judging my rubber ducky? It was a cold shower. Now cut this out. I didn't... Now how am I getting back? Do you have to say my name backwards or something? This is ridiculous. But while I'm here, did Bushman promote conversations with Mark Frost at FayettevilleMafiaPress.com or BlueRoseMag.com or get it in the two-pack with the Twin Peaks Unwrapped book? Have they been promoting that as well? Oh, that I'm not welcome anymore? I'm getting, whoa. They're singing in the bathtub. Oh, yeah. Funny because I would ask, I asked Mark Frost 55 times for photos. Oh, wow. Every time he told me, you know, he's not a pack rider. I asked him for the treatment for the Lemurians. I asked him for everything. He said that Stephen Bochco tape recorded the writer's room sessions at Hill Street. I said, said, can you you please find, do you know where those are? Can I listen to one? So, and, and then he would say, 
so he would kept saying to me he's not he would he kept talking about this mythical storage space that he had <laughs> i'm out there and go through it with you you know yes so I thought that was going to happen and then in the end he just said you know what i'm not a pack rat and i don't have anything but i'm going to visit my sister and brother in upstate new york and i'm sure they'll and his mother and i'm sure that they'll have some stuff yeah so he goes there and he comes back and it's like they don't have anything so uh. so i was forced to scramble and this is a good place for me to mention number one that Misha Cronin from uh, Twin Peaks Archives yeah. came came to my rescue by giving me some great stuff. I mean, he gave me um, memo that they got from somebody at World Vision about Twin Peaks when uh, early on, and Mark said they just totally ignored it. Hmm. You know, there's been a lot of um, discussion about how Mark was going to write, um, you know, about the origins of secret history and about yes. how um, people expected it first to be something other than what it was. And then he, um, he, he had always wanted to write what he calls a perverse Jane Michener version of uh, Twin Peaks. And so many years ago, when he first started thinking about that, uh, there's a memo from his agent about that too. So, Misha came up with some really amazing stuff that completely rescued me. Um, and so I always knew that I wasn't going to, I would rather if I had no photographs than, you know, the photograph of Laura on the, on the rocks and the photos that we've seen like a million times. Right. I didn't want, I wasn't going to do that under any circumstances. Yeah. So I also got a photo of him at Carnegie Tech where he went to college with all these people who who also went there, like Botchko and other people from, from Hill Street and something from the Guthrie Theater in Minnesota. But I try, I, I, I we don't have a lot. No. And I think in the future I'm going to, I'm going to do, I think, um, I would, I'm not, a couple of the reproductions I'm not thrilled with. So I think I would in the future do only gloss on, mm. on the photos. But that's the only, I, I did want photos, but I wasn't going to do it unless I had something interesting to put in there right right and I, i'm i'm happy you did because um when i saw those i think they're very fascinating and it, it goes well with the story and i was saying publisher I, scott's our publisher you know what i'm saying like i thought like maybe scott was like hey want some photos in there because he loves photos um <laughs> so i was just that's why i was joking around about that but no i think they're great i i think it it adds to the narrative of uh mark frost's uh, story there yeah you mentioned writer room, the writers' room, a few times, especially uh, uh, Hill Street Blues. And, you know, Twin Peaks didn't seem like it had a writers' room. At least when I talked to like Harley Payton and stuff, is that's the sense you is that the sense you've gotten that they really didn't have a writers' room? Yeah, it definitely did not have a writers' room. I, I think they um, they ha you know other than than Engels and 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 um, Harley, I don't think anyone was on staff. I think they just. Yeah. Brought in uh, the freelancers. Right. And another thing that really surprised me, speaking of that, is that um, I really thought that David Lynch, I had read, uh, my understanding of history was that David Lynch had a huge impact on the directors in seasons one and two. Mm. You watch all their cuts and, and all this stuff. And I get the impression from talking to Mark that he didn't really have much to do. I mean, there were a couple that he suggested, like obviously Dwayne Dunham and yeah. 
um, someone else too, but the woman who did that movie that he was Tina, in. Tina. Uh, Leslie Lincoln Ladder? Tina Rush, I, I should know. Since Rathbone, she, Rathbone, Rathbone, right? Yes. Rathbone, yeah. But for the most part, I don't think he was overseeing the directing of that show. I think it was, you know, Mark again. And that was kind of a surprise to me. I mean, I guess they tried to follow what Lynch did in the pilot, but I don't think he was, He, you know, Mark said that Lynch was seeing scripts and he, like, would, most of his comments would be punctuation. So hmm. you really get the sense that he just was not involved in one and two unless, you know, he, he was, if he was in it. Right. That would be thing, but that would be the extent of his involvement in those, and then unless he was directing it. Um, yeah. From from our research, I feel definitely in the first season, it seems to me that David Lynch was involved with directors. I mean, you had Dwayne Dunham, you had Tina Rathborn, you had Tim Hunter, Leslie Lincoln Gladder. I don't know if I don't know if he was involved with her getting her, but I feel like at least the very first few directors, it seemed very much like Lynch. Lynch had connections with a a AFI. Mm -hmm. They were he was an alumni with uh, Caleb De Deschanel mm -hmm. and yep. stuff. So I at least it, see, it feels to me at least when they first started Twin Peaks, at least that my impression is that maybe Lynch was involved with the directors and Mark Frost was involved with the writers. But we know he wasn't involved that much in general. So I'm sure that Mark Frost had to do a lot of that, especially in the second season, getting the directors. Yep. Is there anything else you want to share about this book? I mean, there's so I, I we're what, trying. To, what 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 questions he didn't answer? Come on, you can give it to us. <laughs> no, because that's not part of the mystery. He did not answer anything actually. <laughs> what? It's just not necessarily in the book. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Well, like, what, come, you're asking me to to break uh, confidence. I, there I, go. I know. Uh, I tried. I tried. I tried. I, I, I know. I, but I, I mean, I'm. I know you wouldn't do it either. No, no, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. I, I'm. Um. So, David, what do you? Yeah. Since you're, you're Mr. TV, you're Mr. TV, and we 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 try to watch some TV when we have downtime. What do you? What do you? Uh, what are you watching? What are you doing? What what uh, gets you going in the uh, entertainment business? Well, I mean, I was listening to. Uh, the writers panel the other day, the podcast that actually Mark and Harley were both on it, and they went around asking them all what Ben Ben Blacker, who hosts that, went around asking each of them what they were watching now, and Harley said, I think, sex education, but Mark said, um, Watchmen, and and I I think I've talked to you guys about Watchmen, Brian. I've talked to you about it, right? Yes, um, we were we talked about it when we acted. I think when. We last saw each other at a Twin Peaks at the Twin Peaks barbecue road uh, roadhouse thing in New York. Oh, that far back? Yeah, because Watchmen had just been announced that HBO was doing it. We were talking about that, and you were going to be doing. You hadn't done your interview yet, and we 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 were talking about what we thought and what you thought about this HBO series of what would happen. And I have not watched the show yet. I'm. I'm gonna watch it. I'm very excited to watch it. But what have you watched I, it? And I've only seen the I've only seen the first episode, which I thought was amazing. But then my wife and I couldn't get on the same page to keep watching. So I I'm going to watch it, but I haven't actually gotten to watch it. Yeah, you know I I'm like a huge huge fan of the book. In fact, one of the great experiences I had at work at Pally was 
when the anniversary of the prisoner came up, you know, the Patrick McGowan. Yes. Yep. By the way, Mark Frost is a huge fan of Oscar. Yes. I had, I had read that Alan Moore was a huge fan of that show growing up in, in the UK. And I wrote to him an email and said, you know, can I interview you about this show? And I, he's like notoriously inaccessible. And he actually wrote back to me and, and said, yes, but just put the questions in an email and I'll, and I'll answer them that way. So I didn't talk to him, but I did interview him virtually. And that is like one of the great thrills of my life. Because uh. he not only did he do Watchmen, but he did um, Swamp. Of Vendetta and From Hell and mm -hmm. all these great graphic books. I think Watchmen, so, you know, Alan Moore doesn't want anyone touching Watchmen. No. And, um, and I respect that tremendous amount. But and, and so I wasn't almost didn't watch it, but it is amazing. I mm. mean, it's just kind of like what Mark and David did with Twin Peaks and that they in season three, they, they took something and just went in a whole new direction wow. with it and did it so provocatively and so artfully. So I would definitely recommend it to both of you. That, I think, is the best thing that I've seen. Um, in, in a really long time. Wow. And I, I, I really I'm very like excited. Damon Lindelof. I love Lost. I think The Leftovers is amazing. I mean, yeah. his, his work. It, and it's interesting. David Lindelof said that he does not, he did not, well, I don't, I don't know what's going on right at this moment, but an article I read when the, se the season finale happened, Lindelof came out and said, I'm done. That's the story I wanted to tell. We didn't leave. He go. people were asking him, what season two? He's like, we did everything. Mm. I had. I didn't. We didn't build a world to say let's do that in season two. We did everything we wanted to do. You saw it all, and he said, "I wouldn't do season two. I would want someone else to be the showrunner yeah. and tell something different." And he also was fine with it just being that. Mm. And I think it takes a lot of guts nowadays because you know, a network. They're all looking for streaming and having an audience that will milk something to death unless the creator says, this is it, you know, the buck stops here. Um, and I think that's great. Lindelof was like, you got it all. You yep. got it all here. We don't need to do a season two. I agree with you, and it's still the case. He's not doing season two. It, ra it, ma it raises two points, Brian, what you just said. One is that um, I've had this argument with people like forever about what happens at the end of the graphic novel with, with Rorschach. Yeah. Who, in Alan Moore's own estimation is, is a fascist, but yeah. nonetheless, I actually agree with what he does at the end of the book. Yes. I think something happens in the course of the TV show. And I don't want to give it away, but I think something happens in the course of the TV show that totally reaffirms my belief at least in the eyes of damon lindelof that's number one right i'm interested mm -hmm. now that's like huge and number two because i think that's the essential moral dilemma of the first of the book is like was rorschach wrong or right in what he did hmm. at, the end, at the end you know what i'm talking yes. about right well okay. at, i mean yeah he he gives the diary to the newspaper well even right i mean even before that oh just before that. Yes. Okay. You know, okay. So, and then the second thing is, uh, I will tell you that I have a request out to Damon Lindelof for him to be the next conversations with. Yeah. And I would work on together, but <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen, but uh, I'm trying to convince him to say yes to that. That would be amazing. That'd be really that cool. Would be really yeah, he is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So real quick on Watchmen though, it's funny because I, 
um, a couple summers ago, once we got wind, the show was coming, I reread the graphic novel. And then when right before the show started, I was planning on watching it. I was like, you know, I have not watched the movie since it was in the theater. So I'm going to rewatch it. And I'm like, Zack Snyder did a great job bringing it to life. Yeah, he did switch some things for the ending. He did switch the ending. Um, I don't maybe more palatable for a bigger audience. Maybe I don't know why he did that. But beyond that, I mean, he took dialogue right from the comic. He he scenes. I think he got actors that matched those parts perfectly. I overall, it wasn't a bad attempt. It wasn't a bad attempt. I. Are you, you know? trying to convince yourself? No, I, I actually it was like it wasn't a bad attempt at all. I, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, I don't. I agree with you. I. That's one of those movies that anytime I come across it on TV, I'm going to sit there and watch it. Mm-hmm. And you know, even Zack Snyder went the extra step to create the, the 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 long version with the pirate stuff, which that. Like to add another three hours or what, how long that added to it. And he, he had a narration. I mean, he went the extra step to really bring it to life page to page. And no joke, some of the dialogue sounds hokey when you actually hear an actor say it. There's some lines that are like, that was cool on the page. Kind of sounded cheesy in the movie, but I, I can't fault him on that. I uh, Overall, I was just like, I, I don't know why people... Alan Moore bitches about it, but he bitches about a lot of people covering his work. I get it; those are his babies. But Snyder did a great job, I thought. Um, yeah, yeah, more, more just it's kind of like Lindel. Lindel, off in a way, he just wants to like let it live and right and, and move on. But uh, I do remember one of the criticisms I read at the time about the movie was that it was so loyal to the book that it 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 lacked. Uh, drama or whatever but hmm. I, I agree with you i i think it's i mean i don't think it's a great movie but i don't i think it got a pretty bum rap and um i, I don't know i meanwhile supposedly from hell which is like another amazing amazing alan moore graphic novel about jack the ripper supposedly is one of the worst uh movies ever made and that's <laughs> is johnny depp in that or something but, oh yes right i yeah. remember that I feel like it yeah. bombed. I don't think I yeah, remember I hearing think, much about it. I don't know if you guys read that book, but if you haven't, I so highly recommend it. Yeah. I mean, he, he his work was really dense, and Rorschach was a very complicated character. And I remember reading uh, like an interview with Alan Moore, or he was talking about how people on the street would be like, I'm just like Rorschach, or, you know, I, I can relate to him. And he'd be like, He's a fucking asshole. Get away from me. You're scaring me. Like he's like right. he's not a good character. And right. people would come up to him on the street and say, "I can relate to him." And he's just like, "No, you don't want to relate to that guy." I know, but how did you I I have to admit that there were things about Rorschach that I found really appealing. He's got that great line in prison where he says like, "What do you seem to understand? I'm not locked in here with you." <laughs> You're locked in here with me. I get what Alan Moore is saying, but right. there are definitely some things about him that are unforgettable. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, he okay. had a cool story arc, and I think, um, I think, because he he's a gray, he's he's not black or white. He's just like life. It's 
it's complicated. Um, you can be this way, but you could still try to right your wrongs. You know, it's why people like Batman. You know, why people like the the Joker or whatever yeah, other characters. Like. Yeah, I mean, he. Not all the heroes are like Superman. You know, yeah. like you're just purely good, and that's not interesting. But if you have some co- inner conflict is what makes great characters, I think, good or bad, right? Yeah, you know, that, what you just said also reminds me of something else about Twin Peaks. Like, one thing that always, always, always bothered me, because people interpret things differently and character characters differently. And, and when you were talking, I was thinking about Cooper and specifically what happens to him at the end of season two. And I know that so many people, so many people, have written or said that he didn't pass the test. He wound up down there because he didn't pass the test, the dweller on the threshold test, mm-hmm. because he ran away from Bob or something. Mm. Something to that effect, that he didn't show courage in the red room. Right. And my argument was always, are you out of your fracking mind? Like, <laughs> he went down there. Yes. To save the woman he loved, and he rescued her. And that's like, what could be more courageous than that? I mean, so I would, if Bob was chasing me, I'd be, or if my doppelganger was chasing me, I'd be running also, you know? I don't right. know what they were talking about. And I think that Mark pretty much confirms my position. I think he's basically has a different explanation for why Cooper winds up down there that, again, I won't, I won't give away, but I felt a little better um, after talking to him about that, because I, my argument was that if you read Joseph Campbell's hero definition of a hero, that's pretty much what mm. Cooper does, and, and mm. by going down there, you know, risking his life to save save that woman, and he does the same thing in the Return, and then you get into the whole issue of hubris. But again, I'm I'm I just think that you know if you if you're going down there to prove how great you are, or to prove that you can change time, that's hubris. If you're going down there to or out there into the woods to save a woman whose death you think is a tragic thing that could have been avoided i don't see that as hubris but Mm -hmm. so i think that cooper is a really interesting character in in sort of the same ways that you were talking about yeah Yeah, i'm glad you 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 talked to mark about kind of the idea did cooper fail and did he fail also in in season three, and I think that's great. You had that that yeah. discussion. I think it's something that fans are always wondering. I mean, John Thorne, I think, has had a whole article about <laughs> just about what, yep. Cooper fail and. Yeah, no, I know. I I love to argue with him about that, but I love arguing with anybody. That's so. <laughs> <laughs> true. Oh. When is this book out? Where can they get the book? And there's also, uh, I believe, an ebook, or it's on uh, Kindle version too. I believe. Yeah, it is. You know, the book comes out uh, March 10th or 12th. I forget which one. If you ordered through our website, FayettevilleMafiaPress.com, you may have already gotten your book. Hmm. Um, and it's also financially beneficial to us if you order that way. So, uh, But that's a new publishing company that Scott Ryan and I started. So you can get it there. Obviously, it's also available online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It's available at Barnes & Noble and other bookstores that have bought copies if you live in la or southern california there are two book signings planned one is on the 14th at book soup in los angeles and mark frost will be there and the other is march 15th in ojai which is where mark lives and where that photo is taken of him uh uh, blake morrow's photo so 
if you're in that Southern California neighborhood, you know, please come out and see those. I feel like a complete, like, you know, like ridiculous even being at a book signing. You know, it's like people are not coming for me. They're coming for Mark Frost. So, yeah. but I'll be there. I, you gotta be there. Yeah. This, this is well, you, I, there would be no conversation if you were not part of this book. Are you, more importantly, are you guys gonna be there? I don't think. I think. I think there's only so many trips we can do in a year. Uh, so I mean, I know we're going to Graceland. <laughs> <laughs> That's our trip. For That's the, our trip for the year here. We get to go out on a bang. This being our last year. We, we 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 did something we not we, we thought we'd never do, and now being invited to an, uh, an event like this is like. But if like, we had the money, we would way. fly to your your book signing to see Mark Frost and you and be a part of. I that. think Scott Ryan said he was going to pay for us. Oh, to fly that's up right. There. Let's get let's 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 follow up on that. You guys are not paying to go to Graceland because you got invited. Then then there's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna get into that. I yeah. pay. I've already paid. I, yeah. I, I, my, my wife. Uh, yeah, my wife saw it on Facebook and she said, "That's your, that's your uh, birthday gift." So, yeah. too okay. funny. Well, David, it's been so good talking to you again. How can people uh, keep uh, follow you or find out more about this book? Um, so, you, we have, our website is FayettevilleMafiaPress.com, which is a story unto itself. Uh, we'll tell you some <laughs> other time, but. Um, and then you know I'm on Twitter at we're at tw- on Twitter at Fayetteville Mafia Press or FMP, and I think that's pretty much it. I mean I think Scott has like 26 other. <laughs> we'll have in the show notes. We'll yeah. have it so you guys can. Uh, get, but I definitely would recommend this. Is I mean really there's no I mean if you want to know more about Mark Frost and his involvement with Twin Peaks on the air, the other projects they've worked on or he's worked on, this is the book to get. I mean this is the book. I I said it. This already. is the yin to the yang this of is, uh, yeah. Lynch on Lynch. You can't just say oh David Lynch did it all. I mean you need to hear it from Mark Frost. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the um, kind words and and, uh, the exposure. I really do. Thank you. Like Ben said, everything will be in the show notes. So you get yourself a copy, pre-order today, or buy it, and uh, go to those uh, signings. And if you have a comment, question, or theory, give us an email at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. Give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we're on Google Play. All those wonderful podcasting places, we are there. And like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And with all that, we'll be back next week. See you next week. I
because uh, you, you didn't put your name to the Watchmen. I, I, I never read comic books when I was younger, and um, I, I used to watch films all the time. I was a film fan, animations, the whole thing. And I thought they were a translation, they were a modern uh, way of, because films are storyboarded like graphic novels and stuff like that, and they, they, they are, they are moved, they, they, it's like every picture is a, a, a separate picture of the, it's just really fast. You know, like when you flick a book and you, you can see the image moving along, it's moving pictures, you know what I mean? Why? Oh, I am familiar with the concept. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> I um, would query the uh, see them all the time, don't you? Then, yeah. then moving pictures. It, uh, I would query that um, the mistake you're making is that film storyboards are like comics. They're not. Um, film storyboards, they are, and, and anyway, film storyboards are a guide to the film, which is a completely different medium. There were things that I was doing in Watchmen which were, and in most of my comics books, they're designed not to be, uh, they're designed to show off what the comics medium can do. Um, they weren't designed to be films. Um, therefore, the only way that a film could be made, I mean, imagine, if you want to make yourself feel ill for a moment, imagine the film of Lost Girls. <laughs> and yes, there were some suggested, and uh, I left that entirely to Melinda. I said, well, I, I've made my position clear. I <laughs> don't care if, if any of my contributors, if, or co-contributors, -con co co-creators, if they want a film made, I'm not going to stop them. I just don't want my name on it, and they can have all the money. Melinda looked at the proposition and thought, oh no, if, if, if these pictures were moving... <laughs> You know, and Lost Girls has got a tableau vivant quality about it. The figures are still. The, the audience is filling in the interweave, the interleaved scenes, the bits between the panels, the movement. They're doing all that themselves. Um, whereas, if it was a film, it would just be a, a, a grunting porn film like most of the others, with a few pretentious flourishes. Um, <laughs> the, it would. And it's like when they came to do the, um, the V for Vendetta, or say, let's say the, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen film, or the V for Vendetta film, or the From Hell film, which I believe was at least one of the better. I've not seen any of these, because as I've pointed out, I do prefer to criticise things from a position of complete ignorance. <laughs> but um, but uh, with From Hell, what had that got to do with my comic? I mean, they, From Hell is 600 pages long, including the appendices. Um, it is utilising comic book story techniques. So um, what they did was a completely different story, which had got some characters from my book, which took me and Eddie Campbell 10 years to complete because we were researching it, um, they came up with a completely different story um, with the V for Vendetta film. There was a lot of the techniques which they couldn't reproduce. 
and they missed out all of the, I understand from people who have seen the film, they missed out all of the important kind of dialogue about violence and whether it's okay for someone to kill people just because they're the hero of a comic strip or movie. Why should somebody who's the title character, what, do they get a free pass? Whatever their behaviour is. We had quite a careful debate in that strip about, is it alright ever to use violence? And I think that we came down firmly on the side of, no it's not. But sometimes people do. And all of that was missed out. Also, it was done as a direct response to the Margaret Thatcher years. It was done when the National Front were gaining, that was for, for younger listeners, the National Front was what we used to call like um, the British National Party or the English Defence League or whatever they're called now. Um, they were on the rise, Margaret Thatcher was in office. Um, we were specifically responding to that. Whereas the American people making the film, they don't care about all that. They wanted to make it into a parable for 9-11. Um, and, you know, make it a bit contemporary and, in fact, sort of about what had happened in America. Now, during the Thatcher years, when I wanted to comment about, upon that, I did a story that was, like, set in Britain. Um, if they wanted to do something about 9-11, couldn't they have come up with their own story? Something like that? The thing is, what is the... Film is a medium. Yes, it's great. We're planning something at the moment. Something that has been written especially for film. Hopefully it will be out by the end of the year. Um, adapting from one medium to another. I know that it's automatic and it's reflexive. But there's no reason for it other than to make money. And there's no reason for it other than if something has sold well in one medium then let's make it into a film, let's make it into a television series, let's make it into a computer game, let's make it into a t-shirt, let's make it into a bubblegum card collection, let's do all... Why? Well, because we'll make a lot of money out of it. There are no creative reasons whatsoever. And one of the problems with film, all right, we're doing film in a way that it's not costing very much. Um, with, I mean, all right, it's about a 40 minute film uh, it'll cost us about £100,000. Um, in context of uh, hour and a half Hollywood films, two hour Hollywood films that cost $300 million, I think we've been fairly frugal. And also, we are writing it specifically for cinema. Um, my favourite films are ones that were written for cinema. Uh, like they used to be back in the old days. They weren't an adaptation of a comic book or a television series that everybody loved in the 1960s or a television series that everybody hated in the 1960s <laughs> or um, in the case of Pirates of the Caribbean, a Disneyland ride. Um, and as I have said, we will live to see Johnny Depp playing Captain Crunch. <laughs> Breakfast cereal mascots will be the next thing. I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't see 
it might entertain people for a few minutes, but I'm not interested in it because it's not the story that I was trying to tell. And um, so therefore, if somebody's going, yeah, we're going to do a story that's got a few of your characters in, maybe, and some other characters that we've just thrown in because we felt like it. We've given it a different story because yours wouldn't really work for um, a movie audience, you know. In that case, why do it at all? Um, well, yeah, actually, I know why, because it's got the name of my work attached to it, and if I hadn't done an awful lot of struggling and cursing people in a very strict technical sense, um, I would have had to have had my name on the Watchmen film and the V for Vendetta film um, and people would think oh well I've seen the film I guess that was like the book I don't I'm really proud of my work you know I put a lot of attention and care into it I certainly don't want people looking at the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and thinking oh yeah I saw that that thing with Sean Connery um, no, I didn't like that, you know, and just confusing the two, which invariably happens in modern culture. So that's why I've got nothing against the film medium, although I would point out, if you want to be a comic artist or a comic writer, what you need is a biro and a piece of paper. If you plan to be somebody who works in the film medium, you are going to need a lot more than that which means that um, it's inevitably you've got to have money people involved with films. That's a general problem I think with film. It is very costly and it's, gonna, it's not very easy to work in cinema. It's getting easier. It's getting easier. But um, I'd certainly say that there's no reason for adaptations. They, um, other than to make somebody, probably not their creator, a great deal of money.